If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26 this morning. You can find a pew Bible in front of you. I would encourage you this morning, if you have a Bible, keep it open. We're going to be kind of looking at the context a little bit this morning, and so that would be helpful as we study this passage this morning. This is God's holy and inspired word, Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Anybody else ready for him to stop? (laughs) He doesn't stop. Uh, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and help us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be good and right and pleasing to you. Take this word, cause your spirit to move in us in such a way that you drive this passage home and make it real so that uh, it applies to us and so that we leave here changed people. Show us Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We've been studying the book of Galatians this spring. And this morning we come to perhaps the most well-known passage in the book of Galatians. uh, The most famous passage. The one dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, This summer we are going to take each of the fruit individually and kind of do a summer study on the fruit of the Spirit. This morning what I hope to do is get big picture. I want us to fly over this passage at 30,000 feet and get, in, and get an overview of this passage. Um, this morning it probably is more teaching than usual. Probably going to feel more like teaching than preaching, but hopefully it, it happened last uh, service. I got to preaching at some point. Uh, so hopefully that will happen. But just know on the front end it's going to feel a little more teachy. But I think it's... Uh, helpful as we think about uh, this passage. And the first thing, let's just frame it up uh, before we dig in and look at uh, our points that we'll be looking at this morning. When you come to a passage like the fruit of the Spirit and the list, the really long list that I mentioned and then the fruit of the Spirit, it's really easy for us to say, don't do the bad list and start doing the good list. That's a huge problem if we had that approach. Because 
Think about what Paul has been talking about for four chapters in the book of Galatians. For four chapters, he's been saying it's not about trying harder, doing better, and about your effort. It's not about adding to Jesus. Because if we add to Jesus, remember last week, you add one thing to Jesus, one tiny little thing, and you lose Jesus and lose the gospel, and Christ died for nothing. His death was of no value, Paul said uh, in our message that we looked at at the beginning of chapter 5. And if you also notice, you look closely, Paul doesn't say stop doing the bad list and start doing the good list. No, you know what Paul does? He can contrast for us. And he says, here are the works of the flesh. And notice that's intentional, works of the flesh. He's been talking and comparing uh, gospel and works and grace and gospel and uh, grace and law, the whole book of Galatians. And so he calls it works of the flesh. But he doesn't say works of the Spirit. He said fruit of the Spirit. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying this is what the flesh produces. And this is what the Spirit in you produces. Another way to say it in summary is this. These are more descriptive than they are instructive. The other thing that we need to realize though is the context for the fruit of the Spirit. Because out of all the passages in Galatians, well, maybe Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. But this one particularly gets taken out of context a lot. We see it posted on walls and paintings, and we have songs to the fruit of the Spirit. And that's just fine, and those are good. But it hurts us from seeing what the passage, the bigger picture of the passage is all about. Remember the context then. The context for, the fruit, uh, for this passage is uh, the whole book and what Paul is doing at the beginning of chapter 5. He's been confronting legalism. The false teachers are wanting to add to the gospel in uh, in order to be accepted by God. And the apostle Paul says, no, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And then at the end of chapter, or beginning of chapter 5 in verse 13, he starts getting into the other error of the gospel. Legalism is one error. The other error is... Uh, licentiousness or loose living or lawlessness, we could call it. And Paul says in verse 13, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And basically what he's talking about here is one of the, the errors of the gospel is to say, I really like to sin and Jesus really likes to forgive. This is a heck of a deal. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't understand the gospel if that's what you're actually saying. And so here, Paul is confronting that error in the book of Galatians. And when we see someone living in lawlessness or doing whatever they want, and they say they're a Christian, our temptation is to bring the hammer and say, we got to bring more law because they've got to straighten up and stop it. But that's not what the Apostle Paul does. Because the Apostle Paul knows that the law can't change you. The law can't make you holy. And so what does Paul do? The Apostle Paul does the same thing he does when addressing legalism. He gives them Jesus. He gives them the gospel. And that's what he does here. And he does it by pointing them to the Spirit. And so Paul says gospel living is not legalistic living. And it's not licentious living. Doing whatever it is that you want. That it's an entirely different way altogether. And he calls it walking by the Spirit. The Christian life is walking by the Spirit. Look at verse 16, 18, and 25. 
He says it in a lot of different ways. Keep in step with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Verse 25, if you live by the Spirit, uh, let us also walk in the Spirit. And what we learn really from the get-go is living in the Spirit or being Spirit-filled is not for the really committed Christians. It's not for the Christians that get a second blessing, so to speak. It's not for the Christians of a particular nomination, denomination or background. Paul is saying the Spirit-filled life is the main highway. It's the main path of the Christian life. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? What does it mean uh, to live by the Spirit, as Paul says here, or uh, to keep in step with the Spirit? What does it mean and what does it look like? Another way we could ask the question is, what does it look like to live out of the gospel and have a gospel-centered life? Two things this morning we're going to see. We're going to have to live out of the gospel. Number one, we need, it's about recognizing and repenting. That's the first point. And the second point is living out of the gospel is about resting and receiving. So all ours. That was good. You should be proud. Um, so let's look at number one, recognizing and repenting. Look at verses 19 through 21. This is the list. You know, you, as we're reading, I'm kind of thinking, Paul, we get it. Stop. He, call, he calls it the works of the flesh. And just to be clear, by flesh, he doesn't mean just sins dealing with the physical body. There are those, but there also it's more than that. It's about heart attitudes. The NIV, you've heard me say this through the book of Galatians. I love the NIV more than I do the ESV in the book of Galatians because it gets at it better, this word flesh. The NIV translates it sinful nature. And that's closer to what Paul is getting at here. And theologians have put these... uh, works of the flesh in categories. And we tend to look at the list and think Paul's just random. He's just kind of writing, and he's just thinking about all the things that are coming to mind. No, these are categories of sin that I think make this list, it it helps us here to get some clarity. And the first one is sexual sins that are listed. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Then you have religious sins, idolatry and sorcery relational sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, envy, and so on. And then he also has a category of the sins of excess, drunkenness, and orgies. I can't say everything that I want to say here because I'd end up saying nothing and I'd probably run the risk this morning in a passage like this anyway. So let me just mention three things that I I think help us understand the works of the flesh. First one, this first sub-point. You look at this list, and maybe as I was reading through it, your anxiety went off the charts because you're thinking, oh, no. (laughs) These describe me more than I want them to, and perhaps they describe me more than the fruit of the Spirit, than the opposite list. Well, a couple of things. Remember that as a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is true. But you also still have inside you this thing called the sinful nature. And... Um, you will have that inside of you until Jesus comes back or till you meet Jesus face to face when you are what we call glorified and your body is made perfect and the presence of sin in your life is completely done away with. Verse 21, 
The NIV gets at this verse much better before you um, start thinking, oh no, I'm in trouble. The NIV says, those who live like this. That's a big difference in the way the, the ESV says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The NIV says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see the difference? And the word in the original is actually a present participle. And that's important for this reason. Because it actually is talking about continual actions in a continual way. Let me try to explain that. This is not talking about someone who struggles with these things. Struggles with these things. Because we're all fellow strugglers in this room this morning. This is talking about someone who has quit struggling with these things. Someone who has stopped fighting against these things. And when they're faced with these things, either by a friend or the word or whatever, they go, eh, whatever. I really don't care. You see the difference? In other words, repentance, which means to turn away from uh, sin and turn back to God. Repentance is nowhere to be found in their life. And they have taken on these things as a regular pattern of their life. In other words, this is talking about a pattern of living, a lifestyle not a one-time event or an occasional event. Secondly, look at verse, if you look at verses 19 through 21 again, you'll see that 8 out of the 15, did you notice this? 8 out of the 15 works of the flesh have to do with relationships. I think that's pretty amazing. Because we, in our culture, tend to look at this list and we automatically zero in on the sexual sins and the drunkenness and orgy section of this and think, "Woo, those are really bad things that people are doing. But there's a big difference here. What's more problematic, a person who falls to temptation after a long struggle or the person who gossips and slanders and creates division? Well, you be the judge. Both are here, and Paul, yes, but boy, he sure talks a lot about relational sins. Both are here, and Paul doesn't elevate one above the other. God does not make the distinctions that we do. We see sex and drink as more sinful than everything else, and more sinful than jealousy and ambition and dissensions, and God doesn't do that, and the Apostle Paul doesn't do that in this list. Thirdly, This is where I want to spend the rest of our time. Look at verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Learned this this week. I'd never known this before. The word desires here means over desire or inordinate desire. And I think this is critical as we think about this passage because what that means is the main main problem in a person's life is not their behavior. The main problem is not this list, but it's the heart behind this list. Because by the word desire meaning over desires, it automatically takes it to a heart level. And the Bible says the heart is the steering wheel of the human being. It's the control center. And so the problem, it's very informative. The problem is not necessarily that we desire bad things. We definitely do, but we also over desire good things. Our problem is also that we want good things too much. And I think this is really significant. 
Because it teaches us that the main problem is not porn. It's not alcohol and anger. It's not just if I can have more behavioral modification and have more rule and more laws, then I wouldn't do these things. Friends, it is way more complicated and deeper than that. And this passage proves it because it says it starts on the level of your heart desires. It starts when something other than Jesus starts to rule and reign in your heart. The desires of the flesh is this. It has things that it wants. And the flesh has things that it believes that it has to have. And it will do anything to get those things because the flesh believes that it deserves it. You see, the flesh is very, very self-righteous. Because the flesh has an entitlement mentality. It believes that it is entitled to what it wants. And it is entitled to get what it wants, not in the future, but right now. And so here, if we want to summarize the mentality of the flesh, it's this. The flesh lives to get. The flesh lives to get. And so you see where this is going. If the flesh wants something and believes it's entitled to something, what happens when that gets blocked in a person's life or the flesh doesn't get what it wants? Bingo. You get 19 through 21. That's what comes out of you. When your heart doesn't get those things, then out of you comes anger and envy and strife and escaping the world through sins of pleasure like alcohol and sex. Think about it this way to kind of drive this home. Two kind of pictures for you. Think about a fever. If you have a fever, a fever is a sign of something deeper going on inside your body. It's a sign that you have an infection. Think about your car and you're driving down 459 and all of a sudden lights start flashing on your dashboard, check engine, all these warning lights start going on. What is that a sign of? That there's something wrong underneath the hood. And so the point is your heart drives your behavior. The point is the root drives the fruit. And so if you start looking at a person's life and you're seeing these things come out of them, then it is a warning sign. Or you see them coming out of your own life or you see them out of your children or a co-worker. Look at the fruit. Because the fruit tells you what's going on underneath the hood in a person's life. It's something in their heart that is driving these things. And it's a sure sign that something is not right and that they're not in a good place. And another thing it does, I think it leads us to compassion with people. Because it allows us to see beyond the behavior that we get really frustrated and put off with. Think about your children, your spouse. It allows you to enter in and say, what's really going on? What's going on inside of you? And so it leads to compassion and patience with the person. But very specifically, what does this look like when it's played out? Let me give you mine, okay? Let's take relaxation and comfort at the end of a long day, and that's all you want for the weekend or on a vacation. All you want to do is have comfort and relax. Is it wrong to want those things? No. Absolutely not. It's not wrong to to want those things. But it is wrong to be ruled by those things. And for those to take up residence in your heart so that anyone who stands in the way of you getting those things gets your wrath. So that when 
Uh, if that's what your heart most wants, and that's what you feel like you're entitled to, when someone blocks that, or that doesn't happen in your life, then you get the list. You get fits of anger and dissension and division because you're not getting what you want. Notice the problem's not the other person. The problem is happening inside of you. A legitimate desire has been has overtaken your heart and become an over-desire and is now ruling and reigning there and is in control. And the response says is the list that he describes called the works of the flesh. And so here's application for you. What are the works of the flesh? Look at that list. How are they manifesting themselves in your life right now? What desire in your life has become a demand? What are you wanting too much? What is being blocked? You see, that allows you to have reflection, or as John Cox said in our marriage conference a few months ago, it allows you to go bird's eye and to step back and to look at what's really happening because that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. When you see what is being blocked, you can enter into repentance and allow grace to triumph in your life. Walking by the Spirit means you recognize what's going on underneath the hood and you repent and turn to Jesus. You see, the war out there that we experience is a sign that there is a war going on in here. And that leads to the second point. Verse 17. Rest and receive. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want. And really what I hope this section does is I hope this helps you explain you to you. And what I mean by that is anybody else in here ever feel like there's a war going on on the inside of them? Do you ever feel like there's something pulling you towards one thing, the spirit, and then there's the flesh pulling you in a completely different direction? That's Galatians chapter 5. That's why you feel that way. It's a war, and the Apostle Paul describes it this way in Romans 7. The things I don't want to do... Those are the things I do. And the things I don't want to do, well, those are the very things that I do. Or, I can't remember. Did I say that wrong? <laughs> Seemed like it came out wrong. You get the idea. The flesh has desires, and the spirit has desires. And they're at war with one another, pulling in opposite directions. And I used to hear this in campus ministry students because I think a lot of us are tempted to think that. We don't know how to make sense of the war. And I used to have students sit down with me, and they would say, man, the flesh feels so strong in my life. I'm not sure I'm a Christian, because it's so strong, strongly pulled in that direction. And I will look at them and say, no, 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 the conflict that you feel inside of you is proof that you are a Christian. And that you really do belong to God. The reason why you feel the conflict inside your heart and soul is because you're not home yet. The Bible calls it, you live between the times. Between the already and the not yet. You have been made a new creation. The new creation has dawned in Jesus, yet it has not come in its fullness. And so until Jesus comes back, here's what life in a broken, fallen world between Jesus and ascension, and between his second coming. You know what it feels like? A war. It feels like a war. Inside your soul, between the flesh and the spirit. Romans chapter 8 says it feels like groaning inside you. 
Look at verse 24. This needs to be said. I wish I could elaborate. The flesh has been crucified. And all I want to say is the flesh, even if it feels strong inside your life and heart, it will not win. It's been mortally wounded. You have the Holy Spirit power in you, and the Spirit of Jesus will win. But what does it mean? Let's get back. I, had, I, I wanted to say those things because I think it helps frame it. But let's get back to what does it look like then to live in the Spirit? This is our second point. If the flesh says, I live to get, what does the Spirit say? Flesh, I live to get. The Spirit says, I have already received everything that I need. And I live out of that. I don't live to get because I already have everything that I need. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul has been saying for four chapters in the book of Galatians? Think about it. Paul has been saying, you don't have to justify your life because Jesus justifies you. Paul says, you don't have to look to the world to your identity and everything else because Jesus gives you your identity. Paul has says, you are united to Christ. That means that everything is true of Jesus is true of you. Paul says at the end of chapter 3, end of chapter 4, you're not an orphan. But you've been adopted by God. And you don't have just a little bit of the inheritance. You have it all. Every single bit of it. And look at verse 17 again. So the flesh has desires and the spirit has desires. What does the spirit desire? You know what the Spirit desires in a word? Jesus. John chapter 16, read it all, verse 14 particularly. The Holy Spirit has lots of jobs, but His main job is to shine the spotlight on Jesus and to remind you of all that you already have in Jesus. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but we're going to keep talking about it because that is the main role of the Spirit. I love how uh, Jonathan Edwards, he's got this great illustration that's been around forever that people use, and it's a good one. He talks about uh, honey, and he says that you can talk about honey all you want. You can talk about the texture of honey and the color of honey and how honey is made by bees, but it's a completely different thing to talk about it than to really experience it. It's a completely different thing to know about honey than to take a spoon and to put a spoonful of honey and put it in your mouth and taste it. Completely different experience and thing. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes what you know about Jesus and He puts a spoonful of honey, so to speak, in your mouth. Spoonful of Jesus. So that you can taste it and see it and experience all that Jesus has done for you. In other words, and this is important because this is not the way people typically think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not about you. When we talk about the Spirit, it's often about what we're doing and how we're responding and all those type of things. The Holy Spirit is about Jesus. To be filled with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, means that you don't make much of yourself, but you make much of Jesus. The emphasis is on loving Jesus more. And so here it is. When you encounter Jesus through the Spirit and he becomes real to your life and more personal, then what starts to happen in your life? Look at verses 21, I'm sorry, 22 and 23. What starts to happen? The fruit of the Spirit start coming out of your life. Notice it's not your fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. 
So it's something that you don't conjure up and produce in and of yourselves. It's something the Spirit produces in you. It starts to flow out of you. And isn't that what Jesus says in John 15? If you have a Bible in a red letter Bible, those are all words of Jesus. And remember, Jesus says, abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And if you abide in me, what does he say? You will bear much fruit. You see, that's the key. You want to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life? It's not about making a list and putting it on your bedside and getting up in the morning and saying, I really need to be gentle today. It's about drawing near to Jesus. It's about drawing near to Him. And if you draw near to Him, these things will be an overflow of your life. And so what does this look like in your life when it's lived out Monday through Saturday? Day in and day out. Well, I'll share with you an example from my life. We'll just keep this conversation going because I've started down this road with you before. Uh, But it's a real struggle for me to not find my identity in what I do, particularly up here on Sunday mornings. That's why you've heard it said that Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings are the hardest day of the week for preachers. Because when I leave this pulpit this afternoon, there is a war that starts going on inside of me. And the law comes and the flesh comes and brings the law and says, your worth and value is found in your performance. It's found in what you do. And so in that moment when the flesh comes flooding into my life and into my heart, I start overgoing over every word and thinking, oh, that was so stupid, why did I say that? Or, oh, I should have said it like this, and it would have been so much better, and I left this out and should have said this, and it goes like a hamster, <laughs> on a hamster wheel in, inside my head. And in that moment, here it is, you've got to engage the conflict. You've got to engage that conflict and bring in the Spirit. And the Spirit comes in those moments. And remember, the Spirit reminds you of what you already have. And the Spirit comes and says, no, 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 no. Jason, your identity, and sometimes you'll see me, I do this to myself driving in the car. If you ever see me mouthing words, I'm probably talking to myself. (laughs) But the Spirit comes and says, no. Your identity is untouchable. Because your identity is in who Jesus says you are. You've got everything that you need. And in your life, it might look like a flattering or embarrassing situation. And you're in a battle inside your heart because you really want to look good. You want to be the center of attention. You've got to engage the conflict and you've got to say, no, the center of this story and the center of my life and the center of this moment is not me, it's Jesus. Help me to find joy, Jesus, in just being in your shadow. You see how you do this? Or maybe it's you feel alone, broken, and afraid, and your circumstances seem overwhelming, and the flesh comes pouring in. That's all you can see, and the flesh comes in and says, Jesus has left you. What good is your faith? You've got to engage the conflict. You've got to lean into the Spirit. And when you lean into the Spirit, Jesus becomes real to your heart and says, no, that is not true. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but it's not because Jesus doesn't love you. Because if Jesus did not spare his own son, how can he not graciously give you all things? you got to say, I'm adopted. I am a child of God. It's not because Jesus has left me. I don't know the reason, but I know it's not because he doesn't love me. You see, walking in the Spirit 
means more than obedience, and that's where we tend to go. It means that, but it means way more than that. It means the Spirit reminding you of what you already have. Another way to say it, it means replacing the desires of the flesh with the desires of Jesus. And I think this is really important. Friends, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is worship. This is worshiping Jesus in your heart until he becomes more beautiful than everything else in the world and everything else around you. Until he becomes more beautiful than the flesh. Let me close with this. Henrietta Green, born in the 1900s, and uh, she went by Hetty, Hetty Green, and she was a notorious penny pincher. There are stories told about her where she would wear the same single one white, she bought one black dress, and that's all she wore, and when that black dress would wear out, she would go and get one more black dress just like it and wear it till it wore out. Uh, she would eat 15-cent uh, pies. Uh, there's a story of her staying up all night, all night long, So the next morning, looking for a two-cent stamp, she never turned on her heat, never used hot water. She was a businesswoman but would not pay the rent for her office, uh, and so she would travel with her documents back and forth several times a day to the bank. There's a story of her son breaking his leg. She takes him to the hospital, and because it was too expensive, she turns around and takes him back home and It gets infected, and he ends up getting his leg amputated. When she was older, she got a hernia. The hospital wanted $150 to repair the hernia, and so she refused the operation. Hetty Green died on July the 3rd, 1916, in New York City at the age of 81, with an estimated net worth of between $100 and $200 million. In today's terms, that would be 2 to $4 billion. It was making her the richest woman in the world at her time. That's us, isn't it? That's often the way we live. That's a picture, instead of living out of all that we have in Jesus and what he's done for us, we live like we're poor. We live to get... Not because we really are poor, but because we fail to realize that we really are rich. And instead of living out of all that we have, we try to get life out of our career and out of relationships and reputation. And the Spirit comes to us and fills us up and says, look at Jesus. He is worth far more than Hetty Green. Draw near to Jesus this morning. Friends, Jesus has everything that you need. When we draw near to Jesus, we don't have to conjure up the fruits, okay? When we draw near to him, the fruit of the Spirit will be the result in our life. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray and call out to you to fill us with yourself. And remind us of all that we have in Jesus so that your fruit might ripen in our lives. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.